We're in part three of this series called The Three Questions Everyone Has About God because we all have questions about God, right? We all do. Whether you've been in faith for a long time or faith is brand new to you, you're trying to explore it. And one of the things I love when we talk about God is how helpful it is. In fact, one of our favorite phrases around here at LifeHouse is to say, following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. And we believe that because we think God created everything from our health to the way the world works to our finances to marriage. And so when we apply Jesus principles to our lives, our lives typically move in a better direction. Like there's benefits when we apply. There's better when we apply in every area. And one of the things we talked about last week goes hand in hand with that because we just asked a simple question when it comes to God, who is he? Who is God? And that's a great question. And we did not want to come up with a lame answer for a really good question. And the answer we got from this question was brought to us by the Apostle Paul, one of the guys that wrote over half the New Testament. He wrote this amazing thing. He said, because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. And this Father phrase is what we learned about who God is to us. But even more intense than that is this little word Abba, which literally means dad or daddy. And it's so fascinating that Jesus said, when you approach God, you can come to him and call him Father. You can be so personal, you can call him dad. Now, I know for some of you, you'd be like, but I didn't have a good father. So when I think of a father, I don't think of God as a good father. But God is the father you always wanted. God is the perfect heavenly father. And of course, following God would make your life better because any good dad, any good father wants the best for his children. But here's the question. In light of a church like ours that loves to talk about how beneficial it is to follow Jesus, what do you do when you come to those points in life where like, following Jesus means you got to deny yourself? Following Jesus means you got to say no to you and yes to Jesus, and it doesn't feel in the moment to be very beneficial. What do you do when you come to that point as you're trying to figure out if you want to be a Christian or you are a Christian where you ask the question, hey, is it worth it? And just, you know, in your own mind and heart, have you ever asked that question? I think I probably ask that question once a week. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And that's an okay question to ask because there's some things about following Jesus that are difficult. And and one of the reasons for that is we come to God, we come to church, we come to Jesus because we need something, right? For some of you, you showed up today because you're at your wit's end with life. You don't know what to do, you know, next financially, and you're like, God, I need help. Maybe you're here sitting with your spouse and you decide, hey, we better go to church because we got to try something. Things aren't working out in our marriage. Maybe for you, you've had such a hard time. It's the first time you've prayed in years. Like you grew up in church, but then you took a long break and sabbatical from church. But this week, maybe for you, or this month, you looked up and said, God, I don't know what else to do. And so I'm going to look to you for the first time in a while. And God smiles ear to ear in that. And we just think when that happens, Our lives get better. But isn't it true in those moments we're a little bit of a consumer, which is totally fine. We all come to God as a consumer because we need love, we need grace, we need help, and we look up and like, God, help us. But there's this interesting thing when your faith keeps moving forward where you have to ask the question, am I going to switch from just being a consumer, which is fine because that's where we all start, to being a follower of Jesus? 
I'm going to follow him wherever he goes and what he asks, I'm going to do. Now, this is interesting for all of us, me included, that during the whole COVID thing, especially when we were in quarantine and lockdown, um, it was just really easy to be a consumer, wasn't it? For the first time, I'm telling you, for the first time in 28 years as a pastor, I would sit in bed, watch our service online, and drink coffee at the same time. It was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. I haven't got to do that in years. I got to experience Father's Day in my own living room. And I'm like, this is pretty good. We should just stay like this forever. And then I missed you so much, we had to figure out how to get back together. But I, I get it. And, and during the season we're in, it's just made us all a little bit of a consumer or more of a consumer. And that's not anybody's fault. It's just the truth of it. It's a little bit harder you know, to serve and give your time and give your energy when it's hard to even get together. But there's this call that God has for us, not for Jesus just to be our Savior, although we all need that, right? But to actually be our Lord. Like over everything, over our families, over our marriage, over our finances, over how we live. Last week we talked about one picture of God that many of us have is a picture like God's like Alexa, right? Where, where you just ask, hey, play some music, order something on Amazon Prime. Can you get me this? Can you get me that? And sometimes that's how our relationship to God feels. But that's not a real relationship. And any relationship... There's a place where you have to say no to you and have to say yes to the other person. And that includes Jesus. And it's where we come to this idea that following Jesus will cost you something. Following Jesus will cost you something. And it's not going to cost you anything equal to what he gives you because he gives you love and forgiveness and eternal life by what he did on the cross. But when you follow him, he's going to ask you to lay some stuff down to follow and give up some stuff, to let go of some things. And along the way, it could feel like, man, I'm really sacrificing a lot. And what do you do when you get to those points? And when you do, this is the question you're going to ask and I'm going to ask. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Some of you are considering becoming a Christian. That's why you're here. But this should be the question on your mind. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to go from a consumer, which we all start there, to a follower? From just having a Savior, which we all need, to a Lord that we give everything to. And that's so interesting because Jesus... He explains this to his closest followers because he knew this would be a problem for them and he knew it would be a problem for us. And Mark, who came along and wrote the second gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Mark, who we think got all of his information or most of it from Peter, who was an eyewitness, records Jesus trying to help his followers understand the difference between a consumer and a follower. So Jesus, one day, he turns to his closest, closest guys and he says, who... Do people say I am? Because there's a lot of questions around who I am. And I always want to know, who are people saying you are? And they all gave these crazy answers because people had all these theories about who Jesus was. And then Peter, in his boldness, he steps towards the front and he says, Jesus, I'll tell you who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the special one sent from God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're exactly right. And then he says this. He, talking about Jesus, next slide, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. Now, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. I don't want you to suffer because you're like a gravy train. And things are going really well, and if you suffer, it means we might suffer. I don't want to go down this road of things getting hard. Well, Jesus is like, I'm not done yet. The Son of Man, I'm talking about myself, he would say, must suffer many things and be rejected. No, 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 I don't want to be rejected, Jesus. I want to be liked. 
I want to be popular. I don't want this to cost us anything. And if you rejected Jesus, Peter would say, his, his guys would say, the women would say, we're rejected. We'd be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, like the most important people. And that he, talking about himself, must be killed. It's getting worse for Jesus' followers as he hears them describing what's going to happen to him. And after three days, and they didn't understand this at all, rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. He began to rebuke him. So Peter, in his boldness, his audacity, pulls Jesus aside and said, no, no, Jesus, this is the wrong script. We want you to heal people. We want you to feed people. Why don't you raise somebody back from the dead? That would be really cool because every time you do this, people do that, people like us more, and we're on the Jesus gravy train. We're consuming what you're doing, and it's a really good life for us. I mean, this is the game that Peter wants to play, and Jesus is going way too negative. Go back to the good stuff, and Jesus looks at Peter, and you can read this at home on your own. He looks at Peter and rebukes him, and he literally says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, can't believe he calls Peter Satan. That's what he, he says. And he goes on, and he says, Peter, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is a huge point. Because when he says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but human concerns, Peter, you're looking at the world through your eyes. And this is something we all are tempted to do. I am every day of my life. I wake up, and I want to look at the world and how I should behave through how I think I should behave. I tend to take my opinions of the world and myself and other people from the world. It's just a normal thing for us all to do. But Jesus was I did not come so you'd have a worldly opinion of things. I came so you'd have a godly vision of things. And the best way for you to move forward in your life and have the best life and follow me is to have in mind what God thinks, not what you think. Not to have a consumer worldview, but a godly worldview. Not to interpret things through you, but through me. I mean, they're shocked. Jesus just laid it down. And then he says this. Then we're told this. Then he called the crowd, like, everybody get over here, to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciple or follower, go where I go, must deny. I mean, there's another hard word. Wait a minute. Deny? Deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. So wait a minute, Jesus, you're saying if we're really going to be with you, I'm like, go where you go, we got to deny ourselves. Say no to me and say yes to you. And it's going to involve a cross, which we just don't get this. And I don't think we can talk about this enough. Because for us, when we think about a cross, for us as Christians, it's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of forgiveness. For them, it was a symbol of a loved one hanging on a piece of wood for 10 days, 15 days, until their body just completely ran of everything it had, suffocating under your own weight for weeks at a time on a cross, because you can live a long time on a cross, suffocating until your lungs collapse. And then when you die, they just let the birds eat your flesh right off the cross. It was a terrible thing. And every one of his followers, every one of these people in his audience, unlike us, had seen what a cross looked like and smelled what a cross smelt like, and heard the agonizing cries of a human being hanging on there as their lungs literally crushed themselves under their own weight. And he says, hey, you're going to need to pick up your cross 
and deny yourself. You're going to need to move beyond just how this benefits you, but how you can go where I go. This is not a piece of jewelry. This is giving your life to something. It's huge. And the question they all ask, including Peter, is what you might be asking right now as I'm talking. Is that really worth it? Is it really worth me following Jesus if it's going to cost me and I have to deny myself, that I have to give up myself for my Lord and Savior? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Think about this. In the day and age we live in, for you to forgive like Jesus forgives. And think about who you least would want to forgive right now. I mean, it's easy to forgive the people you love, but your neighbor that drives you crazy and is the worst neighbor of all time, that you'd forgive them and love them? I mean, really, Matt? You're really going to ask me to do that like Jesus? Jesus might. Well, what about my idiot brother-in-law? He's an idiot. I mean, I just, yeah, i got to forgive him. I think so, right? How about love? I mean, think about this in context for some of you, that you would legitimately have to love. Hang on. Joe Biden. Or you literally have to love Donald Trump. Whatever aisle you're on, the other aisle, that you will have to like love them because they were made in God's image. And you want to raise your hand and go, well, yeah, but what about, and what about, what about? I just hate everybody in government. I, I get that, but Jesus said we're going to love people that are unlovable. You willing to do that? What, what about the person you most disagree with or the person you're most like, feel like they're messing up my life? God loves them, so what do I do with that? How about serve? I mean, this whole idea that if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to serve like Jesus, but how fun is it to serve sometimes? I mean, I'm not good at that at all. And so my wife, who loves to serve people, is like, hey, let's go serve that, those people or that family or whatever. I'm like, I'm not serving them. I don't even like them. Why would I serve them? But she's a better person than I am. I'm like, okay, let's go be like Jesus. How about this? How about, like, be generous, right? That, that idea where God says, you have money, and some of it you got to give to what God's doing in the world, but that hurts, right? Because I want to spend everything on me. And Jesus was going, yeah, but sometimes you got, got to deny yourself. The goal is not to be greedy, it's to be generous. Yeah, but is it worth it? I mean, really, is it worth doing those things? And Jesus would go, hang on, because there's more, because Jesus is a brilliant teacher. He would go on to say, for whoever wants to save their life, and everybody wants to save their life. I'm pretty sure that 100% of everybody in this room and those of you online, if you were drowning in an ocean and somebody threw you one of those lifesaver rings, you would grab onto it before the last breath you went down. Everybody wants to save their life in those moments. He's making a point. So everybody's like, yeah, we all want to save our life, but whoever wants to save their life, you're going to lose it anyway, right? Well, what do you mean, Jesus? Do you know a doctor that's really brilliant? It's a really good doctor? Yeah. Do all doctors die? All doctors die. You know people who are really healthy? You nuts that run 15 miles a day. I'm so impressed by you. Guess what? People that run 15 miles a day and eat whole grain foods and are healthy or whatever that is, I'm not even sure what a whole grain food is. I just wonder if you can put peanut butter and chocolate ice cream on it. Anyway, you know, you're going to die someday. We all die someday. Every one of us. Forever who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You give yourself up for what God's doing in the world. You actually find life. And this is so confusing, though. 
But he's trying to make this point that you give up you for something bigger. You find life in the middle of it. The challenge for all of us is giving up what's known and what's comfortable and what we really like is difficult. The simplest example for me is last um, Christmas, my kids gave me a brand new, new pair of leather slippers, like house coat slippers, like wear around the house slippers. And the reason they gave those to me is because the ones I've been wearing for like 15 years are falling apart and they smell just a little funky. I'm not going to lie, they smell just a little bit funky. And like, Dad, you've got to wear some new slippers. The old ones are bad for you. they got some disease in them probably. We're not even sure, so here's something new. But for me, the challenge is I like the way the old ones feel. I'm used to them. They're comfortable. They're known to me, right? And I really do not want to give the old ones up for something new, even though the thing that is new is better for me. I want to hold on to what's not so good, but it's familiar. And all of us lean towards what we know and what's familiar. And Jesus comes along. He says, I've come to bring you something brand new. But you're going to have to give up some of your old to really find out what it is. What good, he says, is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Now just paint the perfect picture of your desired life. You gain the whole world. I mean, you have everything you dreamt about. You have the ultimate car or truck or motorcycle or all the above. And the house that you always dreamt about. And the bathroom with the shower that you always dreamt about. And the biggest TV in the world. And the lake house and the extra boat and all the stuff. And you get to travel, right? And your kids are just well-educated and their grandkids are well-educated. You have more money than you know what to do with the picture. Perfect life. The perfect life. You live to be 108 years old, but not like 108 and broken down. I mean, you live to be 108 and 100. You're still healthy and you're spending your money and you're having the time of your life. And you live the closest to perfect life you can. And then you get to be 108 years old with all that stuff. And you, you peer into the future. You peer into eternity. And in your future, in eternity, you've got nothing. And you go, uh-oh. Oh, that, that's scary. I have all this stuff, but that's terrifying. And Jesus goes, yeah, you gain the whole world, but you lose what's most important. And then what he says next reveals something about all of us, especially me. Whether you believe in Jesus or don't, whether you believe in God or don't, whether you're a pastor or not, he says, or what? Or would you give an exchange for your soul? What would you give for your soul? You can have the best, you can have whatever you want, but you got to exchange it for your soul. You know what your answer would be? I, I wouldn't give anything for my soul. And I would give everything to save my soul. Whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you have or whether you have not, you would give everything for your soul because you find out that your soul is what matters most. And le Jesus is leading us down this line of thinking. It simply means my soul is greater than all my things. Everything. The greatest thing and value in my life is my soul. It's greater than all my stuff, all my relationships. It's greater than all the things that I protect. My soul is greater than all the things I insure. My soul is more important than all the things that I vitamin and exercise and see the doctor about and treadmill. My soul matters more than anything else. Christians, just for us, non-Christians, you get this. This is why, as Christians, when we get stuck on peripheral things, 
And we're so involved in peripheral things. And right now, there are peripheral things that we are passionate about, Christians. And we forget the very thing that matters most, and that's Jesus. The world goes, really, is that what your faith is worth? That's why Jesus said, what would you give up for your soul? What would you give up for me? What would you give up for a relationship with God? It's the greatest thing you have. And the audience is just stunned. And Jesus isn't though he's done yet. He's trying to make a point. He goes on. He says, if any of you are ashamed, and that's a strong word, of me and my words, are you ashamed of me? I mean, he's looking at Peter, and he's looking at John, and he's looking at James. Are you guys ashamed of me? Because I need to know because we're going somewhere. We're on a journey to change the world, and I've invited you to be with me. I need to know, are you guys ashamed of me? Because I need you to be with me. I need you to identify who I am. If anybody's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, this is offensive language, and sinful generation. And it's offensive because it's true, right? I mean, we live in a world that's adulterous and sinful, and just so you know, we live in that world not because it's adulterous and sinful, because we, me, are adulterous and sinful. We're a broken people. That's why Jesus came, to bring light. But if he says, if you want to identify me in this broken world, if, if you're embarrassed by who I am, if you don't identify in a relationship with me, it's an issue because we're accomplishing something. We've come to do something. If you're ashamed of me, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, I just need to say this because I don't want to throw anybody way off track in following Jesus. He is not saying you have to be a perfect Christian to follow me. He's not saying you can't have doubts and you can't have questions or you can't stumble. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you're going to lose everything anyway. Nothing is going to make it to heaven or after the afterlife with you. It all stays behind. And it is better to identify with me no matter what. And I don't want you to miss it because someday... There's going to be a reckoning. And Sunday, you're going to have the opportunity to stand before God, and your best move is to know me personally as your Savior and as your Lord. So identify with me. Because if you identify me on the day of reckoning, it will be a really good day. A really good day. And you don't have to be afraid. You can have confidence in who you are in me. And still, the question that He's answering that everybody's asking, and maybe you are, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And he would say, on that day, that day of wrecking, you will know without a shadow of a doubt, it was all worth it to the nth degree. But you're going to have to understand that on this journey of following Jesus, not just consuming, not just believing, but following him, there's going to be some points where you go, oh, i got to give up what I want and the way I think, and I've got to deny myself. And that's painful. It just is. There'll be times that you feel like there's a moral imperative, like there's something morally that you have to do that you would never do if it wasn't for Jesus. And no one else would do it except for Jesus. And in those moments, there'll be something in you that will say, that kind of feels like a death. There may be a person that you're dating that just is not tracking where you need to go with your faith. This is just such a simple illustration, but it's easy to see. 
And, and you know that person where it's a he or she is not going to help you get where you want to be in your faith and as a family person and wherever it is. And you're like, i, I got to step out of this. This is not the best move for me. But it will feel like a death as you go, uh-uh, i got to let you go. But a year later, it won't feel like a death. You'll be able to look back and go, whew, dodged a bullet on that one, right? Have you ever been able to say that? Or have you ever not listened to what Jesus called you to? And you're like, oh, I wish I would have listened to that in the first place. You got to remember, Peter and James and John and the rest of his followers are there, and they still don't want to hear this, but they're like, okay, we're hanging on, we're not leaving you. And then they watch Jesus live a little bit longer and then go to a cross. And then he gives his life on the cross, which was awful. And again, they're like, is this it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And then on the other side of is it worth it was the resurrection. And they saw him rise and live again. But before that happened, this interesting little thing happens. Right after Jesus says, you have to deny yourself, he does this teaching we just walked through, he decides to take Peter, James, and John up on a mountainside. This amazing story that you can read at home. It's in Mark chapter 9. But basically, Jesus calls three of his closest followers, just three, and he takes them on the mountainside, and he like, pulls back, and this, it's a crazy story, pulls back the curtain that reveals his own glory. It's called the transfiguration. And it's described that Jesus glows in white with beauty and power and majesty. And Peter and James and John, right after hearing this terrible teaching of denying yourself and following and giving up your life, they, whew, they get to see Jesus for who he really is and the beauty and the holiness and the just pure, unfiltered love and the joy of their Heavenly Father, they see it in some of its radiance. And after seeing that, Peter, who was so, so thrown off by what Jesus had taught just days earlier, he, he said to Jesus, Rabbi, Jesus, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to go where you go. It's good for us to travel where you travel. It's good for us to say no to ourselves and yes to you, even when it's difficult. This reminds me of a story of a friend of mine told me. He's a pastor in a large church like ours. He said, he, I was walking out of church one day. And this young man, 22, 23 years old, was walking out at the same time. And it began just to pour down rain. I mean, just hammer rain. And I looked at him, the pastor said, I said, hey, you want to ride out to your car? Because he was three lots over and my car was closed. And so young man jumped in the car and I drove him to his car and I asked him, what are you doing right now? He said, oh, you got to know, pastor, I'm like doing my dream job. I'm living my dream career. I got hired like a Dish Network or DirecTV, one of those. This was a couple years ago. And I trained to be a programmer for a t television station. So I'm working at Dish Network. That's a great job. I'm getting paid more than I ever thought I would get paid. And I'm going to go places that I never thought I could go. And the pastor says, so you're really enjoying this? He says, yeah, the, the only problem is I'm pretty sure I'm going to quit next week. Why are you quitting? He said, well, in my programming job, making more money than I ever thought I would make, I look at like 100 TV screens and do the IT and the programming on them. But about 20 of them on the far right of this room are all the pay-per-view channels. And all day long, they just show pornography. <laughs> and I'm a Jesus follower. 
And I watch what's going on and I can't quite turn my eyes away because it's always on and I think the women in those shows are beloved by God but they're not being treated like they're beloved by God. And someday I want to get married and if I bring that into my marriage, it could wreck my future marriage. And so I'm going to quit. Pastor said, well, what are you going to do till you find another job? Well, probably fast food for a while because I don't know what else I'm going to do. So I'm quitting without a plan of what's next. I just know I have to say no to what feels beneficial for me in the moment, but what will probably destroy me in the future. And if Peter was in that car with that pastor and that young man, Peter would go, yep, that's it. But don't turn away from what's difficult for what's best. Don't shrug away from saying yes to what Jesus has called you to be and to do with your life just because it's easier to follow along with everything else. Denying yourself in the moment, it feels like a moral imperative. It feels like you're saying no to something. Sometimes it feels like a death, but it's a yes to something in your future. And Peter could say that. Peter could say that. Because later in his life, for his faith in Christ... He would be hung upside down on a cross, this is what church history tells us, and crucified upside down. And in that moment, I'm pretty confident Peter was not enjoying any part of that. It probably took him hours and days to die upside down on a cross. And I remember, I'm sure he remembered those words of Jesus that you gotta deny yourself and pick up your cross. But somewhere along the way, Peter closes his eyes and he opens his eyes in eternity. And he stands before his Savior, and his Savior says, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. This is eternity. And all the beauty and all the splendor and all the joy and the pain is gone. Come on, Peter, you're home. And in that moment, I think Peter was able to say, This is worth it. Now, this is tough stuff. And we don't just expect to tell you a story and make it all okay. We think this is the stuff we should struggle with as Christians. And if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, that's why that starting point environment that Ryan mentioned is so important. Because we've got to talk through this stuff and figure it out and walk through this journey together. Because it is not easy. But I believe it's worth it. And one of the reasons I believe it's worth it is what we're about to sing about in just a second as Allison leads us, as we sing about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I hope you come to the conclusion when you ask the question, is it worth it? That the answer is yes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for this difficult, hard teaching of Jesus that would put us in line with the heart of our Father in heaven. And for the person that's struggling, the person that's asking, is this really worth it? That they would hang in there by your strength and their spirit. Thank you, God, for meeting us where we are and helping us find a better life, not just today, but forever. And for those that just need simple answers and to consume your love, I pray they'd find that. But Lord, I pray that it would lead us to following you as fully devoted disciples of you. Thanks for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.